Okay, here we go, someplace different. I don't know if your Bibles can handle this. We're in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And it sounds strange to say this too. We're going to do three sermons from this chapter. Okay? And we're not doing the whole chapter either. We're just doing the first nine verses. And uh, I want to talk to you about thankfulness and anxiety. This uh, first message I want to share with you, we're going to spend time in verse number six, which probably was expected, because that starts with the words, be anxious for nothing. And uh, we're going to talk about the issue at hand. And then the next time we come to this passage, the challenge at hand. And then the third time we approach this passage, the Lord at hand. And those are the three ways I want to address from these verses, uh, these things with you. Now, I'm going to read to you from verse 1 through verse number 9. Um, and I'm going to want you to listen carefully because there are nine commands in the first nine verses. And that doesn't mean there's one per verse. There are a couple of verses where there's a couple of commands and a few verses where there are no commands. But I want you to pay attention to the commands as we go through our passage. But first, let's talk to our Lord in prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful, wonderful thing it is to have your word, to have it open right now. Whether we're here in this room or whether, uh, as some of our folks are at home right now, and yet we can all gather together in front of your word. And uh, you're going to teach us, I pray. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have full reign in our service today. Not only teach, but help us to apply and to live out the things that we see. And there are things here for us to see, certainly. And so help us today in this, uh, this exercise of our faith and of our appreciation of you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you ready? Philippians 4. Verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companions, I ask you also to help these women who share my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and also with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things, that you, the things which you have heard and received... And 
seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Very familiar verses for you. And you caught the nine commands, right? Verse number one, stand firm. Verse number three, help. Help these ladies. Help these women. Verse number four, wild guess. Rejoice. Second one in verse number four, rejoice. Verse number five, let it be known to all men. Verse number six, be anxious for nothing. Verse number six, let it be known to God. Verse number eight, dwell on these things. Verse number nine, practice these things. All right, you got the list. You just saw that. Eight of these nine commands are in the Greek present tense. That's good news. That's the way of saying, you're doing this. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Those are very commendable commands. I like those. That makes you feel like something's being done right here. So don't stop. One of these commands is urgent. It's an aorist tense. It means start doing this right now, as if you haven't been doing it before. This is the one that corrects. One of these is corrective. The other is to the other eight are to commend them. Now here's my question. One of these then is a challenge for the Philippians. You want to guess which one it is? I'm not going to tell you. Because that's the second sermon, the challenge at hand. You know, they say good advertising is to leave you with wanting more, right? So, I'll just tell you that of all the things we just read here, the Philippians were very good at eight out of nine. But there was one thing that still needed to be addressed. Like I said, I'm going to wait. Does that leave you anxious? Uh Okay, we're going to talk about the things at hand today, the issues at hand. Verse number six is anxiousness, being anxious. And what does that do with thankfulness? And I'm not going to simplify it for you as if some people do and wrap it up in a simple statement that, well, if you're just thankful, that erases all your anxiety. Some people simplify things very much when they work through this. And I think you, like so many others, want a little more of a handle to hold on to than just simple words. I'm going to do my best today. I've been staring at these words. I mean, literally, just staring at this passage over and over, working through the Greek text like I like to do, and just turning it around and around and around, trying to get a full view of this. And I found that it's not easy to communicate what we're reading here, especially in verse number six. It's not easy because we already come with a default system that lends us to anxiety. And so sometimes when we read it, we start to feel some conviction. Maybe we want to start pressing back a little bit. We want to resist uh, what we're hearing today. And sometimes it's, a, it's hard 
I, I also, when I study, I like to go over all the old translations to see. In the English language, you know, our language has evolved a lot since the 1300s. We, we've had a lot of changes in words and things. And, and so sometimes when I go through this, I, I try to find out what's the different ways that they have used to try to express the same truth. And I'll give you a sample of this because it's simple enough to read from the New American Standard today. Be anxious for nothing. And if I just read that, I could say, well, the application is this. Stop it. There, we're done. Isn't that easy? Well, let me tell you how it's been read over the years. If you were uh, uh, living back in the 1390s and happened to get a hold of one of John Wycliffe's translations, it was the earliest one out there that you'd had a whole text written. It came from the Latin text, but translated into English. It said, be ye nothing busy. B-I-S-I. Now that sounds like a good excuse not to go to work. Be nothing busy. I said, interesting. So it improved a little bit in the next 200 years, and William Tyndale came along, and he says, be not careful. You like that one? Matter of fact, Matthew's translation, Coverdale's translation, the Bishop's Bible, all these in the 1500s, even the Geneva Bible of 1580s said, be nothing careful. And you say, well... I'm not sure that's the way we actually say it. Along came the 1611 edition of the King James. And uh, their statement was, be careful for nothing. And you might be reading that today if you have a King James, because it really hasn't changed except the spelling. And B was spelled B-E-E. Be careful for nothing. The, the early Catholic editions in English, the Dure-Rhymes edition of 1610, said this, Be nothing solicitous. How does that work? You could use that one on people who call your phone now. Say, aha, it's against Scripture. You're not supposed to solicit anything from us. Be nothing solicitous. I said, interesting. That even... That's strange to me. 1880s, early 1900s, you've got revised versions and American Standard versions, and it comes across more like what you see now. In nothing, be anxious. In nothing, be anxious. Then I, I thought I'd pull out all our modern translations and look too. NIV, if you're carrying that, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, English Standard Version, do not be anxious about anything. The Lexum, the newest one out there, be anxious for nothing. The easy-to-read version, don't worry about anything. The Bob Marley translation, don't worry, be happy. Wait, that's not there. All right, Phillips translation. Phillips translation, don't worry about anything, whatever. The amplified version, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Now, how are you doing on this? Anxiety starting to build a little bit? Those words can easily raise your stress level. I don't doubt that. The other day, I experienced for the first time a stress test. Never had such a thing. Heard about it. Didn't know what to expect. I've been told what to expect somewhat. But, you know, you have to be there. 
right? And so I went in, and they did some scanning of my heart, and then they put me in a room and started hooking me up to all these wires. All over, there's wires hanging out and things like that. And the tech said that he could not start the procedure until two nurses were in the room. That's when the stress started going up. I said, why? I didn't know why two had to be in there. It just made me a little concerned. But, you know, they have new techniques now. If you've had one recently or before, but instead of putting you on the treadmill now to get your heart rate up to see, you know, how fast things can go, they just simply say, what do you think of politics? <laughs> it doesn't take long to get it up, I'll tell you that. Uh, not really. They they put me on the on the treadmill. I did. I thought. I honestly thought I did well. I came out of that thinking this is great. Everything's good. This is wonderful. But the scan said otherwise. So I have more tests going on this week. Externally, piece of cake. Did fine. Internally, apparently there's something that needs attention. Quite honestly, I think that's the way we act with a lot of things when it comes to the issue of anxiety. Externally, we can get on pretty good. Outside, we could polish it up a little bit, cover it up a little bit, but on the inside, we might be wrestling and wrestling hard with something and not even expressing that. And The average person doesn't want to be labeled as somebody stressed out, do they? So we keep a good veneer. So they think everything's just fine. And if you're struggling with something today, uh, you're not interested in the quick fix sermon. You're not saying, all right, stop it and I'm done. Right? You're wrestling, and that's the whole point of wrestling. And so I'm going to take you to this text today, verse number six. It's our starting place. I'm going to add another layer to it with the next sermon. And by the time we get to the third message, I, I hope we will have something that is very useful from this passage that we can use. Uh, I just want to deal with verse 6 today, primarily, um, and show you the issue at hand. Be anxious, he says, for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These, these verses, 1 through 9, are actually the big picture of the topic we're learning here. We separate them out. We pull verse 4 out. We put it on a, a plaque or a pretty picture on our wall. We pull out verse number 8 and say, oh, that's a good verse we should memorize. Uh, we like verse number 7. We separate that and might even put it on a, a card we're sending to somebody who's sick. We, we separate these passages up as if they're little sporadic passages here and there. It's like, you know how Paul is in the last chapter of all of his books. It's like, he didn't hit on this topic, it was that topic, so he hits them all, different topics every verse, right? You're wondering if you should say right or not. Well, we do notice that Paul likes to add a lot of interesting things in the last chapter, of course. But I want to take this as a whole, verse 1 through nine as a whole and so let's step verse six back into the passage including where he starts in verse number one of standing firm in the lord 
And where he goes in verse 2 and 3, and he's talking about two ladies that need help. Two ladies that need help and the church's responsibility to be a part of that. In verse number 4, twice he tells them to rejoice. And in verse number 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And of course we have verse 6, this is where we're studying, being anxious for nothing. We put it in the same context with the peace of God that surpasses all under or all comprehension. And it's guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And then the things that we're to dwell on with our minds, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure. We see how these things all go, but do we see them all together? Because when you get to verse number 9, he says, That which you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice. Now, I'm going to contend that practice can be the application for every single one of those commands. Stand firm. Are we good at that? Sometimes? Practice. Help these ladies. How good are we at that? Well, could we use practice? Yes. Rejoicing in the Lord. How about a little practice there? You see the point. I want to I put it all together in one picture as we go through here. But let's look at verse number 6 very specifically right now and define a few words. We're going to start with the definition and then I'm going to illustrate. Okay, ready for this? It's a two-part sermon, just two pieces. Definition and illustration. That's how simple I want to keep it today. Technically, verse 6 phrase, be anxious for nothing. Just that first couple of words are actually only two words in the Greek language. Two words. Let's start with the second word, and it is the word nothing. That is one word. Meiden is the Greek word. Meiden. It means no thing. Isn't that great? No thing. It's singular. Which might be significant in this. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the second word. Miram nate, which is be anxious about. So be anxious about no thing. Now, no thing is it's pretty big. No thing. There's no wiggle room in this for uh, squeezing anything past it. It means no thing. No thing. We would rather it said some things. Be anxious about some things. We would, we would say, well, maybe don't be anxious about most things. That's being generous, isn't it? If we could go that far. We, we kind of do this, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing it's human nature. We make a pile of things in life. We make this pile, and we sift through them and decide which ones do we put in the anxiety department and which ones don't we put in the anxiety department. Some things give more anxiety than others, we would certainly say to that. But go back to this word. No Thing. 
Actually, what you're not seeing is in that Greek word, there's also the word one. Not one thing. Not one thing. And you may be thinking right now, saying, but... And if you're thinking that, I appreciate that, because there's a but here and you want me to keep going. But... What? In, oh, what'd you say? Everything? In everything? Here's the exact opposite. Not one thing, be anxious, but not one thing. On the other side of the word, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here could be our problem. We switch the words. We read like this, be anxious for everything, but in nothing, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We may not say that, but how often do we do it that way? Okay, that's the easy part, all right? You said, whoa, don't you love it when you're getting a test and say, that's the easy part, and you just barely survived it? That's the easy part. Let's look at the second word. Merimnate, be anxious about. I, I, I had some fun with this, but when I was studying it, the more I dug, the, the more I said, wow, isn't this a good picture of what anxiety looks like? You ready? This is really fascinating to me. I hope to you too. It, it comes from Maridzo, the the Greek word, which speaks of the idea of a distraction. A distraction. And when it gets down to it, what it really is talking about is the idea of cutting something in half. We even get our words like meridian out of such words like this. Something in the middle. But you cut it in half. You, you disunite something. You divide something. Make it real simple. If you're going to share a sandwich with me, you cut it in half. Peanut butter and jelly, I like that. All right, peach jam would be really good. But peanut butter and jelly, cut it in half, cut it in half. You got a picture in your mind? Just something cut in half, something divided. Here's a command. I'm looking at it, you're looking at it. Present tense command. Keep on, we have to weave that into the verse, all right? Because that's the nature of the command. It's something already happening. It's actually something commendable. You thought this was their big problem. It's something that needed to be maintained. And he's telling the Philippians, you're doing it. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Keep going. He says, or take out the word nothing for a minute and it'll shock you. This is what I saw for the first time. Keep on being anxious. So, ooh, what a command. About not one thing. Keep on being anxious about not one thing. Don't stop. You're doing well. Keep on being anxious about nothing. 
Let me change some words for you because sometimes that helps. Keep on being distracted by not one thing. What is distracted? You're trying to set your, your attention on something and something keeps trying to pull it away, right? We call this thing distracted driving. Have you ever seen it? All right. You ever did it? No, don't say. We understand the word distracted. It's part of our life. It's part of our vocabulary. We understand that word. Keep on being distracted by not one thing. Let's try another word. Keep on disuniting nothing. I'm going somewhere. Keep on dividing nothing. Here's what anxiety looks like. The mind is distracted, it is divided, it is disunited, as if you're caught between two or more things. And because of that, you feel that stress, because a decision needs to be made. How many people like to have to choose like this? Most of us don't. It can be confusing, it can be stress building, and I'm sure we've all been there, but we find that on many, many different levels, and I'm, I don't want to go psychology with you and talk about all those things. I'm just saying what this word says and putting it back in its sentence, it's talking about being divided in your thinking, distracted along this, this thought. You're, there's disunity inside there. All of you, Paul's writing. That's the nature of the command. All of you keep on being anxious about no thing. Not one thing. But, and by the way, that's a strong contrast. Not a soft, mild one, but a very strong contrast. In the things required of you, hang on to that. That's your request. Keep on being Let's, let's put this right. The things required of you keep on being declared to God. In other words, keep bringing them up by means of all prayer and by means of supplication with a grateful language. I just reinterpreted a few things for you from the translation. Let me, let me walk through two things that I think are very important. What do you mean by, by all prayer? And what do you mean by supplication? Prayer is interesting. Prayer is an act of worship. And supplication is that which you need. Now hold those thoughts for a minute because I want to weave them back into here. Here's fact number one. We have required things, don't we? That's your request. They are things required. And that's true. Necessary things. Things for life. Things for health. Things for well-being things for ministry. That I don't know how far we can go with that list, but I do know this. If you pull out your concordance and start marking the word anxious or an related words to that in your uh, New Testament, you'll find most of them have to do with what shall we eat, what shall we wear, what shall we drink, and how shall we live. Just about every time anxiety pops up, it's in that department, the things we need. Living, wearing, eating, drinking. Those are required things. The command says, keep on, don't stop, implying that's already happening, declaring these things.
to God. That's what he says in the second part of this verse. Keep on declaring these things to God. And I'm going to suggest that the Philippians were probably pretty good at that too, since he used another present tense command on them. Keep on doing it. Keep on talking to God about the things that are required, the things that are necessary, the things that you need. Keep on bringing it before him. You realize that prayer is a worship act, don't you? It's an act of worship. Think about this for a minute. We are not demanding. We are worshiping. There's a difference. Every genuine prayer, I believe, is confessing something. It's confessing, number one, we are needy people. It's confessing, secondly, that we have to ask somebody else for the things we need. That's what needy people do. The third is that we have an understanding that God is able to meet our needs. And the fourth is what we're doing. We are asking God to meet our need because we know He is able and He is gracious enough to do it. Do you realize that prayer is woven in with your theology? What you know about God? That's why you go to Him. That's why you ask him, because you know he is able, right? And you know he is gracious, right? You know he loves you. You see, prayer is worship. It's coming to speak to God about these things. But in worship, guess who's getting the attention? He is, and not our needs. Not the things we need. Worship is where God gets the attention. So keep on declaring them before Him. Because that is an act of worship. To say, I'm a needy person, God. But also keep on declaring them by supplication. Supplication. Acknowledging that these are truly the things that need to be supplied. So many times when I was teaching at Cornerstone Bible Institute, I got a request from the office, every semester, for the things needed, ordered for my class. There's a blank sheet of paper, and they wanted textbooks put on there. They wanted workbooks put on there. And and that supply list was given to me to fill out. And I'm very, very sure that they knew the difference between a Greek book and an iron skillet. I wasn't told to put anything I want on there. It was a blank form, but I had a brain. All right. What they wanted was, what do you need, not what do you want? And you know there's a difference. God is interested in our supply list, folks. Sometimes we do fill it in with unnecessary things, I confess. I do too. But remember this. When you place that list before him, he is the sovereign God. He can look through that list and know what you need before you ask for it, right? Do you believe that? Read it in Matthew 6. That's what Jesus says. He knows what you need before you ask it. He will meet our need out of his love and out of his care. So, for me, honestly, I'm not so much afraid of asking for the wrong thing as I am afraid of not asking at all. Because if I did not ask, it implies 
that I've got it all covered and I don't need God. There is worship in declaring these things before God, and there is dependence in declaring these things before God. That's what's at the heart of it in verse number 6. That other side of the story where we, we emphasize anxiety, on the other side of the but, he's talking about what do you know about your God, how do you worship your God, and how do you depend upon Him? He's bringing it down to something very crucial to our Christian walk. Oh, by the way, and do it with a grateful heart. A grateful language. Thanksgiving. That's a heart check for your prayer life, by the way. Are you thankful? We say a lot about thankfulness, but you know that comes with practice. Your kids were naturally able to say thank you, weren't they? How many times did you say, say thank you, and you elbow them a little bit? You know, God is honored when we say thank you. Gratefulness is a beautiful thing. Now, before we run out of time and such like that, I just need to illustrate this for you. And I think if I illustrated it, it will help a lot. Because I gave you a bunch of information, I know. But I, I was thinking through, how can I illustrate this? And all I have here are two empty boxes. All right? Now, if they fall down and people are watching here, that's okay. You're, I just want you to see them. They're empty boxes. And balancing them up here is not going to be so easy sometimes. Maybe they'll stay. Use your imagination. This box is your anxiety box. Now, size doesn't matter, okay? I'll switch them if you want. But this is your anxiety box. This is a box of the things that pertain to God. Starting to see a picture? Real simple. I want to show you how this looks. Box one. These are the things we decided that needed to be disconnected from God. Disunited. Divided. You have gone through your pile. Whatever your pile in life is, you've got them. Everybody's got the pile, don't they? You carry your pile. And you've got to decide which box am I going to put these items in. So you're picking through them one by one. And you say, nope, this one's not for God. Oh, this one's not for God. Oh, 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 I'll give him this one. Uh, uh, let's see. You know how the game plays, right? You start to divide up things. And they're based on importance. They're based on, you know, what stresses you the most. By the way, most of the things that stress you, guess which box you're going to put them in? Right here. That's where we're going to start stacking them. They'll say, oh, that's my anxiety box. You have an anxiety box? This is where I keep it. This is where I put my things. All right? Now, the other bots are for things that I consider God's in charge of that. So I'm going to declare it to him and just give it to him. That's, that's God's things that, that, that is required. The things that bring me to worship him. The things that, you know, show that I'm dependent on him to say grateful things to him. I'm going to put in this box. Why do we go to this box first so often when we're dividing things up? We say, this is where I'm going to put it. In the analysis of what Paul said, I'm going to make it simple. Paul says, nothing goes 
in box number one. That's verse six. Did you see it? Nothing, not one thing goes in box number one. Nothing. We are very good at filling this box, aren't we? We're very good at it. What goes in box number two if box number one has nothing in it? Everything. Isn't that what it said? I just showed you the verse. Nothing in this box. Everything. Everything. Hear the word? Everything in this box. Everything. Easy? No, not too easy. Now, if you're prone to dividing up between things that you want to be anxious about. Did I say that right? And the things you want to worship God with. It's never easy, especially if it's a command that tells us to keep doing it. So that tells me already it's not an easy thing that we have to be told and it's not natural. But here's the issue at hand. You ready? It's so hard to keep your eyes set on him when we're focusing on these. Right? It is so hard to keep your eye on two things. That's called distracted. That's where your mind's divided. I think we're starting to get this word. This is interesting. When we fill this box, I hate to say it this way, but could we not be saying these words? Lord, these things I do not give to you because I do not trust you with them. Ooh, did he say that? Or maybe we say, Lord, these things I do not give to you because I do not think you care about these things. Or, Lord, these things I do not give to you because you are only God of a portion of my life and not the whole. Wow. I just want you to ask the question, what are you saying when you do not take everything to God? What are you saying in that? If prayer is worship and prayer is dependence, what are you saying when you do not take it to him in that way? Isn't that showing that you won't worship him or that you don't trust him? Or that I think these things deserve more of my attention than you, God? Ooh, I hate saying it this way. It's convicting the socks off of me. How many times have we stuffed this box full and said, I'll handle it? And how good are we at that? One person I saw once made an illustration. I think it was during the whole teaching time or whatever. They had this ball of yarn, this long string, and they just kept tying it in knots. By the time they were done, it was just one big knot. He says, that's usually when we say, God, can you fix this? Because we spend all that time just tying it all up. Tying it all up. Tying it all up. Huh. All right. Conviction. Feel it? I do. Let me get back to what Paul was saying to the Philippians. It really sounds good. Philippians, 
you keep on being anxious about nothing. Don't quit. What you're doing is great. You keep on declaring these things to God. Seeking Him and all the things required of you to worship Him and to depend upon Him and to use graceful and grateful words when you talk to Him. Can you see what Paul's doing here? He, he's, he's not correcting the Philippians in verse 6. They were already doing it right. And you may say, well, okay, so he's encouraging them. But what, what's that mean to me? What, what's that mean to me? I, I, if, if Paul wrote this to me, would he say such things? Or would he say, stop it? I'm not good at it. Maybe that's your answer. I'm just not good at that. I have a habit of keeping things to myself and from God. I have, I have an issue of trust at times. All right? Maybe that's a hard thing to admit. Anxiety, in some things, might be more like my story. Matter of fact, I even worry about becoming anxious. And declaring things before God in prayer, well, I try to do that, but you know, I can't always... You know what God is, is, is doing right now? He knows that about you. He knows that about you. See, trust is learned one step at a time. When we speak about faith, it's something that gets built. It gets built. That's why the Bible keeps bringing us to these things all the time. That's why the examples are given to us as well. When we look at somebody who does it right, do we not learn from them and say, Oh, that's what he wants of me. The Philippians were not put in here so we could all pat them on the back and say, Whoa, they've got it made, aren't they, elite? They were put there as an example. This is what God's calling us to do. Just like the Philippians. Just do it their way. Just way. Tell them, don't quit. Tell them to keep going. And maybe you can only take a little step at a time, but folks, don't quit. Don't quit. Take another step. Don't quit. Take another step. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. You got it? That's what he's saying. Keep going. In this whole issue, you might struggle with it, but verse 9 told us the application. Practice. 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 Implied in that is that we're supposed to be getting better, right? Because after all, what does practice make? Oh, we've heard that a lot, haven't we? Uh-huh. Wouldn't you like it better? Better would be good, too. You see, folks, we have challenges, don't we? We all do. And I don't know how many of us carry this box around with us, this little anxiety box, and we're filling it day after day after day. When we come back to the Philippians to study from them, we're going to say, then what is their challenge? What is it that they're having the hardest time with? And I'm going to address that with you. But for now, don't divide your things. Don't divide your things. Leave nothing in the anxiety box. Put everything before God. Okay? That's the application of the passage for now. And that's enough to work with.
you got a week. Let's see what you do. All right? Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. We testify of that over and over and over again when we come before you to worship. And that's what we call our service here, a worship service. We're here to set our minds on you, to think about you. You're so great. You're omnipotent. You're, you're all-powerful. You're omniscient. You know everything. You're omnipresent. You're here right now. You're a God of love and mercy and grace. You give strength to the weak. You give life to the dead. You give light to the dark. You give uh, eyesight to the blind. Lord, we read these things in your word and we're, we're in awe. Every time we see again what your powerful hand can do, you created this whole universe. And sometimes, Lord, we act like you can't do anything in our own universe. We act as though you're not powerful enough, or you don't care enough, or you're not active enough. The old deist used to say that you wound up the world like a clock and walked away. We don't believe that. We don't believe it because we study it in your word. Our theology is important to us. But it's meant to be practical. And it's meant to be lived out. And what we believe about you ought to be lived in light of who you are. And that's where it hits us right now, Lord. It hits us right at that spot. For the practical side of this is hard, and you know that. We struggle with it, and you know that. And there might be some who are struggling very deeply with it today. And they didn't know what to do about it. And maybe even felt felt very poorly about bringing this up even before your throne right now. They're embarrassed that their habit is to keep it to themselves and struggle through it and try to solve it themselves and they haven't given you worship about this and they haven't come before you in their need and they feel pretty small. And Lord, you know that too because you lift up the brokenhearted and you help those that are in chains and bondage. You set them free You're the one who reaches down and sees this miserable piece of clay and gives life and purpose to it. And you set us on a course to follow your Son. And you empower us by the Holy Spirit. And you give to us everything, everything we need for life and godliness. We're not not to shortchange you. Lord, I know it's our tendency because we're weak. And we tend to fall back. But Lord, let us take these words to heart today. If there's progress being made, may we keep going. If there's no progress, may we start. But trusting you is what it comes down to. Because we know who you are. Help us with this today, Lord. You know it's a struggle in our heart, in our community, in our nation, even now. There's so many reasons for us to have anxiety. Divided in our attentions, divided in our our minds. Help us as believers to trust you and trust you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.